Good morning. During the 1800s, our nation uh, had this Western expansion. You know, the motto was, go west, young man. And um, so we went west. And um, during that period of time, as those people went west, they uh, developed their own code of ethics. Uh, it was very individualistic. Um, you commit a crime, it depended on who you committed against, who was wronged as to what your punishment might be. You might uh, go to jail or you might just be taken out back and hung in a tree. Um, everybody just kind of did their own thing. It was not unlike the time of the judges. In Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so during that period of time, there was no moral consensus. Everybody just kind of did their own thing. And that's why it was dubbed the Wild West. Fast forward a 100 years, and that brings us to the 1950s or so. And there has been a complete change because during this period of time in our nation's history, there there seemed to be a moral consensus. There there seemed to be a general agreement among the population that this is right and, and this is wrong. Um, I think it's reflected in the television shows that, you know, were on at that time. Think, think back, you know, what, Leave it to Beaver, Father Knows Best, um, The Andy Griffith Show, Donna Reed, you know, you can go through and list a bunch of those. And all those shows had one thing kind of in common. It's that they all pretty much came from the same point of view. A, a moral consensus existed. But we don't have to go another 100 or 150 years out to find another change. Because we can just move ahead just 50 years from that time period and we find that we have come full circle. Because we live in a time today, again, where there seems to be no moral consensus at all. It doesn't matter what issue. I mean, you can bring up the most outrageous thing, something that in the 1950s would have been abhorred by the vast majority of our society. Today, you have polar extremes. You'll have people saying, well, that's absolutely right. And you'll have other people saying, well, that's absolutely wrong. There seems to be no moral consensus today. Today, America is just as wild as it ever was during those Wild West years. And it is demonstrated by what we see in our culture today. I'm sure that you're concerned about the direction of our nation. Um, social, injust social injustice. You know, we don't put a lot of stock, maybe, or we don't give enough attention to, oh, there are certain things that jump out at us. You know, there are certain sins of our society that jump out at us. But I don't know that we would list social injustice at the top of our list, but it should be. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and how that they tithed of all their little spices. He said, man, that, that's, that's good. Do that. But don't leave undone the weightier matters such as justice. He, he lists that as one of the weightier matters of the law. 
I think that we can see in our culture, in our society, at least uh, I think it's pretty evident that two people committing the same crime will receive maybe different sentences depending on how much money that family has or how much influence that family has. That's social injustice. Those things should not exist, but they exist in our culture. You, you look at what's taking place right now with reference to homosexuality and, and the threat to marriage. You know, back, uh, well, last June, um, our Supreme Court overturned DOMA, which was the Defense of Marriage Act. That, that act said and was attempted, or that, that legislation was attempted to protect marriage and say that marriage is to be defined between a man and a woman. Our Supreme Court said that's unconstitutional and will let states decide. We can't just keep uh, homosexuals from this institution of marriage. That's, that's unconstitutional. And so now states, one by one, just this past weekend, Virginia struck down their uh, state law that prohibited uh, marriages between homosexuals. And so now we, we live in a time where the, the very definition of marriage itself has been challenged and we've made the wrong decisions. The Bible tells us that marriage is, um, you know, between a man and a woman. Uh, who would have thought we would come to a time when that is debated? But that's where we are in our society today. Um, what about Marriage itself, the, the need for it. Uh, marriage is dispensable today. You know, the fastest growing um, family unit today is not a married couple, but it's cohabitation. People are just dispensing with marriage. Who needs marriage? I, who needs a piece of paper that has a signature on it? That, there's, there's no value in that. And so people are just living together. And that's the fastest growing family structure or unit in our culture today. Yet again, the Bible says, Hebrews 13 and verse 4, adulter, you know, marriage is honorable among all, but adulterers and fornicators God will judge. We live in a time today when Divorce is prevalent. Nearly one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. And I know those statistics can be skewed in a lot of ways, but suffice it to say, we have a lot of divorce in our society. In spite of the fact that God says, Matthew 19 and verse 6, what God has joined together, let not men put asunder. A few years ago, there was a survey taken among, uh, it was in a book called The Day America Told the Truth, and they surveyed people from out throughout our country, and it was an anonymous survey, and it just asked the, the American people, where do you stand on morals? And one of the questions was, have you committed adultery on your spouse? Thirty, well, more than a third had said, yeah. I've, I've cheated on my, my spouse. Yet again, the Bible says that adulterers, those who persist in that and won't repent of that, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. We can look not only there, but we can look at uh, premarital sexual activity. 
look at on our television shows and, and how that's promoted and glorified and, and how it's just seemed as, it's portrayed as the norm. It's normative. It's expected. No one expects to go to marriage being a virgin. Are you kidding me? That's not the kind of society we live in anymore. It's just a rite of passage. Like graduating from high school. Premarital sexual activity. Yet again, the Bible condemns that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 1 through 2, it says it's not good for a man to touch a woman and that that's for those who are married and they need to be married. <clears throat> we can look at abortion. Um, we live in a society that doesn't value life. We, we kill thousands of babies every year and all in the name of choice. The Bible says, Proverbs 6, that God hates those who shed, or it's an abomination to him, those who shed innocent blood. There's drug use. And uh, more and more we hear of states wanting to legalize. Boy, you know what? Let's just go ahead and legalize. People are going to do it anyway. You know, just make this stuff legal so we'll quit clogging up our judicial system and, and throwing people in jail for just, you know, so let's just legalize it all. Well, again, you know, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5, in principle, uh, don't be filled with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The, the whole idea of being intoxicated or, you know, Losing your faculties. I don't know, well, I do know. The devil is crafty. And I need every bit of my senses to defeat him. I don't need to intentionally blur my judgments. But that's what a lot of people justify, and that's where we are today. Um, the rejection of absolutes. Well, you can't say that's absolutely wrong or that's absolutely right. We hear people say that all the time. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, who put light for darkness and darkness for light, and who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We live in those times. And, and I can just keep going on. I mean, the things, look at what hits our headlines nowadays. Look at how many things are just askew. And they're not close to where we were 50 years ago. And they're not close to where the Bible says we ought to be. So here's my question. What? Do we give up? I mean, are these signs that we're just, man, we're just going to flounder here. The church cannot thrive in a society and in a culture that is this ungodly. We're just waiting around for the Lord to come and, you know, drop, you know, fire and brimstone on us because there's just nothing we can do. And, and uh, in this kind of an ungodly society, the church will, well, will flounder. I hear people with that attitude. I hear people, you know, discouraged and questioning whether or not, you know, how much, how much longer can we hold on? Well, I, I don't see it that way at all. 
I don't think that our society, the immorality of our society, I don't think the immorality of America is going to threaten the church. It it, it doesn't. And, And not only do I have history to tell me that that's the case, but I have God's Word. So I'd like for us to look this morning at just simply this question. Will and can America, or can the church survive our American culture? My answer to that is yes. And and the reason I say that is because the success of the church does not depend on the culture in which it is couched or situated. It never has. The church has never been subject to culture. The church has never been, you know, just helpless to to go with every wind and tide. You know, the church can exist in any culture. In fact, what culture represents the will of God? You find the culture on this planet that God says, perfect, just the way I want it. There is no such thing, and there never has been. To say the church can only be planted in a certain kind of soil and prosper in a certain kind of soil where everything is just watered just so. Have you ever had one of those plants you bring home, and it has to have sunlight, direct sunlight? If you put it over in the corner where there's shade or indirect sunlight, it's going to wilt, it's going to die. No hope for the thing. That's not the way the church is. The church isn't that fragile. The church will grow in any soil. And the reason is because it has the blessing of God and the strength of God. Did Noah and his family, were they faithful? Did they find God's pleasure? Did they find the grace of God in their lives? Well, absolutely they did. But what culture were they situated in? They were situated in a culture that is described that, well, every thought and every imagination of man's heart was wicked, continuously. That's the culture in which they lived, and they thrived in it. They were faithful. They did what the Lord commanded of them, and they didn't just throw up their hands and say, wow. We're the only ones. They stayed faithful. They fulfilled God's purpose in them. And it had nothing to do with culture. Fast forward and go to the time of, uh, you know, not just the patriarchs, but go, go to the time of Israel. Could Israel prosper and remain faithful to God amidst ungodly cultures? Well, yeah, they did. On more than one occasion, they were taken captive because of their sinfulness. But but during those periods, there, there was a remnant of people that stayed faithful. You, look at the book of Daniel. You have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been hauled off into captivity, had been taken from their homeland and taken to Babylon and then treated as prisoners. That well, There's no hope for those boys. Do you know how ungodly Babylon was, the Chaldeans? You know what kind of reputation they had? How can these boys all on their own be faithful to God? Well, they did, and they were, and God was with them. 
He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in that fiery furnace. And if he had not delivered them, he would have received them. Because they were faithful in spite of their context, in spite of their culture. What about the New Testament church? Could the church be faithful in a culture of ungodliness? Look at the book of Acts, chapter 1. What was Roman domination like? What, what was uh, the, the, the thing of the day? I mean, the, the Grecian culture that came in, the idolatry. Um, when Paul went to, to Athens, he saw gods to, or, or statues, idols to every god imaginable. They were idolatrous. Could the church be faithful in the midst of an idolatrous world? Turn to the book of Revelation and look at what Paul, or excuse me, what Jesus says concerning Roman occupation and the battle, the, the, the outright opposition to Christianity by its government. More and it sure looked like, and people had this same mindset, well, how in the world can we do anything? How can we make any head ground or headway uh, in this kind of a culture? It's hopeless. The book of Revelation is written to say, no, it isn't. It is not hopeless. God is on your side. And this government that seems so strong will be brought to its knees and you will be left standing. And we know that's the case. It happened then. Go to Corinth. Look at the idolatry and the, and the, the immorality. To be called a Corinthian in the first century, boy, that was an insult. Because that was an ungodly city and it was so bad that people used that term as a byword. And yet, Acts chapter 18 and verse 8, Paul went there and preached. And those Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. He had success. As bad as our culture is today, it doesn't rival that of Rome. It doesn't rival that of what those first century disciples had to face and some of the persecutions that they had. Do you understand how wicked Rome was? Do you understand that if they had a child and they didn't want that child, if it had some kind of defect or something, they'd just take that child and take it out to the edge of the woods and just lay it down and go back home. Let the wild animals come and get that child. Can you imagine that happening, being being allowed to happen in our culture today? Would never happen. Do you know that in Rome that uh, they had slaves and those slaves were property to the extent that if I wanted to kill a slave, I could kill a slave. It's my property. I can do with it what I want. And they had no rights. Can you imagine having that kind of a, an attitude in our culture today? What well, we're not there yet. That's far from where our society would ever tolerate. And then look at the outright opposition, not just immoral, immoral acts, but the outright opposition to Christians, taking Christians and taking them to the Colosseum and using them as gladiatorial games. Let's put these Christians in there and let's let our best fighters have at it with them. Or let's let the animals have at them. That's the kind of culture they live in. We're not anywhere close to that yet. And yet that church survived and thrived. 
and people were faithful to the Lord. I'm just saying that history itself, as well as what the Bible promises, says we can thrive here. I don't like what I hear on my television. I don't like what I hear from our legislatures. I don't like what I hear from our Supreme Court. But it has no bearing on the success or the feet of the church. It really doesn't. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 says, Nebuchadnezzar had that dream, you remember? And he was confused by what that dream meant. And Daniel came by the power of God and revealed to him the meaning of it. And he said, basically, there are going to be four worldwide kingdoms, three that follow you, Nebuchadnezzar. And in the days of that last kingdom, Daniel 2.44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And it won't be left for other people. There won't be like a a new king in town that takes over and then he'll go and another one will take over. It won't be left for other people, but it will break in pieces and it will consume all kingdoms and it will stand forever. That's the nature of the kingdom. That's the nature of the church. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, the writer of the Hebrew letter said, we are receiving a, a kingdom that is unshakable. It, turn in your Bible to first or Second Timothy. I want you to see what Paul says to Timothy by way of encouragement. In Second Timothy chapter two, he said, "You know, I suffer trouble." Verse nine. He was talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and he said, "And because of that teaching about the resurrection, I suffer trouble as an evil doer, even to the point of chains." But listen, the Word of God is not chained. They can put me in chains because of what I preach, but that doesn't stop the Word of God. And he goes on and says, uh, you know, avoid these um, fables, these contentions, these these stories that amount to nothing but cause quarreling. And and he says, verse 16, shun profane and idle babblings. They'll increase to more ungodliness. It's going to get worse if you do these things. And their message is going to spread like a cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus uh, are of this sort. They've strayed concerning the truth, concerning the resurrection. They say it's already passed. And and they overthrow the faith of some bad times. A, a, A disease is spreading like a cancer. The faith of some is being overthrown. Can they make it? Look at what he says. Nevertheless, the firm or solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God's in control. We can have a cancer spread throughout our culture. And we can have people whose faith gets overthrown. But it's no reason to despair because the firm foundation of God stands in spite of all that. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 31, well, through the end of the chapter, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us, called us. He said, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's, uh, he goes through all these, what what shall separate us from the love of God? And he lists a number of things. There's nothing. 
We are more than conquerors. Psalm 47 and verse 8 says, God reigns over the kingdoms of men. And he sits on his throne. He's in control. As I go back and as I again say, you know, I I don't like what I see. It doesn't mean that things are spiraling out of control and we're going to live in a society where we can have no influence and no impact and and we're just going to be dead in the water. Not so. The church will only be dead in the water when we stop placing our faith in the power of God and when we stop following him. The church, I would propose, operates best in an ungodly culture. Because when we have an ungodly culture, it doesn't take long before we begin to reap the whirlwind. And we see, man, these choices we made, they they cost us. It's a heavy price to pay. What we thought brought liberty brings a whole lot more problems than we banked on. And when people realize that, they start looking for something better, something new, something that can give meaning. And and that's the open door to the gospel. I think that in good times, when no uh, challenge to our morals or ethics exists, we, we get lazy. We get comfortable. We think everybody, even though they're outside of Christ, but because they're living good lives and we don't see any brazen sin, we think or deceive ourselves into thinking everything's okay. But it isn't. That culture that may have a lot of good moral qualities is just as lost as the culture who has just gone off the deep end because they're without Jesus. I believe that when we're challenged, when we're backed up against the wall, it separates us. It it calls us. It demands of us an urgency and a dedication that otherwise would not be required. And so I don't see persecution. I don't see cultural immorality as something that threatens the church. I see it as a stepping stone for the church to rise up and be lights to the world and reach out to people who see the brokenness of this and are looking for something better. Well, so what should we do? We do live in a broken culture. We do live in a society that is just messed up, morally speaking. Ethics are individual, autonomous. How do we get back? What do we do? Well, here's the first thing we do. We live for the Lord. Whether our Supreme Court decides this way or that way on an issue, it doesn't matter. We live for the Lord. You know, a few years ago, we had this wet dry vote in, in a community where we used to live. And, and uh, there was so, it, it, it comes up every three years and had forever. And this was the final time that they finally won and, and the community became a, a wet community serving alcohol. People were so disturbed. They were so upset. They were so defeated because we had fought against this and worked against it. And now it it went wet. And man, well, you know what? Our people needed to be reminded. Not one thing has changed after the vote than it was before the vote. I still have to preach the message of God. 
the community still needs Jesus and they needed him before the vote and they need him after the vote. And my job as a Christian is the same before the vote as it was after the vote. And and I just simply apply the same to our situation today. I don't like what's taking place with reference to marriage in our culture. I don't like what happens to innocent babies in our culture. But whether our legislature chooses to change any of that, my mission's the same. I'm going to preach the truth, whether the law's on my side or whether the law says otherwise. We need to preach the truth. The answer is the same whether we live in a godly culture or an ungodly culture. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you do not faint. Galatians 6 and verse 9. And I would say this too. What can we do? Allow the wickedness and the depravity of our culture to cause you to lift your eyes to heaven and want something better. Don't fall in love with this world. There isn't the kind of stuff here that we should long for. Just look around and see how depraved it can be and cause that to cause you to lift your eyes and long for that place where you'll never have to deal with that again, where there won't be any of that, where you truly can exist in a place of peace and love and joy. Let it lift your eyes. Let it be a motivation to serve God even more faithfully. What I wanted to say this morning is just simply this. Don't despair. Don't don't believe the prophets of doom and gloom that say, oh man, the church, I don't know what's going to become of us because look at our culture, look at the American culture. How in the world can we ever be relevant? How in the world can we ever be successful in a culture this corrupt? It's a culture this corrupt that often may aid us in being successful if we'll stay faithful to the Lord. I know that 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith, we sing the song, faith is the victory. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't think all is lost because God is faithful. And he said this kingdom that he was going to bring into this world would stand forever, and it will. Our faithfulness may be challenged, but there's no reason to despair. We may be called to do hard things, but that's good. It strengthens us, it disciplines us, and it makes us have more resolve to serve the Lord. So let's leave here today knowing what kind of a culture we live in, knowing how much it needs Jesus Christ. And let's go out and take Jesus to the world. The theme this year, again, is we need to be one that the world might be one. Let's, in a unified manner, let's take this message of Jesus to people who no doubt are frustrated too. They see the direction of our culture. They're good moral people. They don't like what they see. They're looking for answers. And folks, we have it. 
Let's take Jesus to the world. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel of Christ? Become a part of that eternal kingdom that will never be destroyed. It doesn't matter what happens to our culture. Um, we can be redeemed, even if our culture can't. The success of the church doesn't depend on the success of America. This country may rise and fall many times before Jesus comes again, but it will have no impact on the church. That's our decision, whether we want to remain faithful to him. If you're not yet a child of God, obey the gospel. If you are and you want prayers, you need strength, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.